0: It's Monday, November 27th, 2023, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of 1 Corinthians, and specifically we are looking at the chapter... 5 of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth, many of whom he had personally led to faith in Christ. Yet the culture at Corinth was overtaking the church at Corinth, kind of like the culture today is overtaking the church in America. And just as Paul instructs the believers in Corinth, we must be warned today to keep watch and to confront sin and especially to guard from unrepentant. Repentant sin or even sin that has become socially acceptable. You see, our world very much looks like the culture of Corinth. Corinth most mirrors our modern day culture. It was a bastion of art, pleasure, romance, and sensual pleasure. But Paul continues to exhort the church that the things of the flesh and the pleasures of the world will never truly fulfill and bring peace and satisfaction. The continued plea of Paul to the is flee sexual immorality, turn from sin and cling to Christ. And it's with that introduction that we read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says to the church there at Corinth, these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated among tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit and is I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedies and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, I ha- what, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is strong language, beloved. Let's make sure that we have the context. A man in the church, a member of the church, is committing sexual immorality with his stepmother. He's deliberately sinning in a way that would be detestable to the world. And he's continuing in that sin with no desire to repent. Verse 1 says, A man has his father's wife. And that's a present, ongoing activity. This is not a man who is struggling with sin, wants to turn from it, and is, ter- is trying to turn from it. No, the picture here is settled, unrepentant, rampant sin with no desire to follow Jesus. Paul goes on to instruct the church and by extension the church today on how to treat rampant and unrepentant sin within the church. Six things we learn about rampant and unrepented sin from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First, it slowly and systematically destroys us. What does the Bible say the church should do? Remove the man. Verse 2 says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Then in verse 5, the language gets stronger. You are to deliver this man to Satan. And then in verse 7, it says, cleanse out the old leaven. And then verse 13 says, purge the evil person from among you. The passage says, do not associate with them, not even to eat a meal with such a one. This is a person who claims Christ, but continues in rampant, unrepentant sin. whether it's sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reveling, drunkenness, or swindling. We are to remove the unrepentant sinner. The person must be isolated from the church. And this flies in the face of our culture. We don't see this as loving nor accepting, but we see this as hateful and vengeful. But beloved, if we knew how truly destructive, unrepentant and rampant sin truly is, we would do what Paul says elsewhere about sin in 1 Corinthians. We would flee. You see, beloved, Paul uses such strong language to convey the most important lesson about rampant and unrepentant sin. It destroys and it destroys the sinner. It destroys the church, it destroys relationships, and it destroys the witness of Christ to the world. With all of the rampant sin we see so many ministry and church leaders committing, we see the horrible effects that sin has. In our culture, we now call good, evil, and evil good. We have forgotten how to blush. We justify sins as decent, not good, bad, and horrible when the truth is that all sin is a personal affront against a holy God and it all destroys man's communion with God, which is our only hope. But the second thing we learn about rampant and unrepentant sin from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is that confronting sin is loving towards others. Yes, we are to remove the sinner, but we are also to confront them and ultimately pray that they would repent and turn back towards Christ. Verses four through five says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. We are to confront the sin of the sinner. We are to call it out. We are to call sin, sin. Beloved, at times in this culture, we are immune from labeling sin, sin. As a matter of fact, we are so quick to justify and excuse sin. For instance, this man has a serious anger problem. Yes, but you don't know all the hurt and trauma he's experienced. Well, this man is greedy. Yeah, but he grew up with nothing, and so he just holds on to the things that he has very closely. Well, this man is a gossip. Yeah, but what he says is based in some truth, and this is his truth. This is the way he feels. This is his felt experience. It doesn't matter that he is hurting someone else. They hurt him. Well, this man is proud. Yeah, but look at all that he has accomplished. He has a right to be proud. This man is adulterous. Well, his wife isn't that nice to him. Beloved, it is absolutely ridiculous the way we justify sin and fail to call out the sinner. It is hateful and vengeful to justify others' sin. It is loving and kind to call them out and lead them back to the cross. We must call sin, sin. If a car is barreling towards someone being careless in the street, we cry out to warn them. Paul tells the Galatians in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then Jesus gives us the path to loving rebuke in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see, beloved, the loving thing to do is to confront sin. It is unloving to ignore or excuse sin. And may we in the church be loving towards sinners by calling out sin. But then the third thing we learn about rampant and unrepented sin from first Corinthians chapter five is that personal sin spills out to hurt the church and her witness. Look again at verses six through eight. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The image is something that seems small but is infiltrating and affecting something that is large. A little bit of leaven in bread makes the entire loaf of bread leavened. Another example, one preschooler infected with a stomach virus can spread the entire group of children the same stomach virus really quickly. And all the parents say amen. This is the imagery in these verses. God is saying when you are casual with unrepentant sin in the church, it spreads in a way that's not just dangerous for that person, it's dangerous for the entire church. This is because the church begins to think unrepentant and rampant sin are no big deal. And before long, the whole point of what it means to be the church is totally lost. Unfortunately, this is the church in our culture. We think unrepentant sin is no big deal, and we've missed the whole point of what it means to be the church. We've exchanged our pursuit for holiness, for the pleasures and lures of the world. When we are indulging in the carnal and lust of the flesh, it mutes our message that Christ came to redeem the world in order to free us to live a far better reality. A.W. Tozer says this, The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems, for he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at the most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiplier of burdens of time may be lifted from him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled up one upon another. That mighty burden is his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God and with every power of mind and soul to obey him perfectly and to worship him excessively. You see, beloved, a church that loves God and follows him fully, will throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so clings so closely and will pursue Christ in his kingdom. The fourth thing we learn about rampant and unrepented sin from 1 Corinthians 5 is that we should never take sin casually. Remember how Paul started the passage. Not even the world, not even pagans, people who hate God, would condone what you were condoning in the church. This is a challenging passage for Christians to think about removing someone from the church. But the truth is that we not only embrace culture and allow it to infiltrate our lives in churches, we begin to ignore it. We begin to cover up sin. Earlier, we talked about pastors and ministry leaders caught in sin, but think about the churches which have covered it up and excused it. The world doesn't even have a category for this level of sin. How we define sin is not ultimately left up to us, but is defined by God's word God calls the church to treat sin seriously for salvation, for the good of the church, and ultimately for the glory of the Lord. In letting the world infiltrate our lives, our churches are becoming casual towards sin. And so, beloved, I know that this is stepping on my toes and others' toes, but let me ask some questions. Do we listen to music which talks about promiscuity or perverts the holy? I remember Shania's Twain song, Whose bed have your boots been under? And it was a catchy little tune. But when you think about it, it's talking about promiscuity and it's perverting the holy. And if this is all that we are filling our ears with, no wonder we begin to look so casually upon promiscuity and sexual sin. But then are we watching movies that take sex and gender out of God's design and then laughing or ignoring it? Beloved, is our entertainment something that should cause us to blush? And because it's not causing us to blush, is that causing us to look casually upon sin? But then is our laughter at the expense of another? Are we laughing because of another image bearer? Or are we laughing about things that are indecent? But then does our speech reflect Jesus or does it begin to reflect the world? Have we forgotten how to blush? Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was bringing his followers in close and teaching that the Ten Commandments weren't merely broken by physical action, but by words and meditations of the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Beloved, we must actively guard our hearts, our lips, and our actions. We must not gossip, lie, slander, grumble, complain, but instead we must seek the Lord and His glory. May our prayer be Psalm 19, 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But then the fifth thing we learn about rampant and unrepentant sin from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is that we can live in freedom from sin. Verses nine through 13, Paul says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or adulterers, since then you would need to go out in the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you were to judge. God, judge those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. True biblical brokenness does not say, I can never judge a brother like that. True biblical brokenness believes verses 9 through 13 and submits to the authority of the word of God. Humility does not tell God how to be gracious. It listens and tries to obey with fear and trembling. Knowing the weight and seriousness of sin ultimately leads us to humility before a holy God. It helps us flee sin because we know what type of an affront it is to our Father. And so we begin to be grieved by the things that grieve the Lord. We begin to hate the things which the Lord hates. We begin to love the things that the Lord loves. The whole process of church discipline or confronting another brother or sister ultimately grieves us and helps us, helps us not grow callous to sin. And when we are confronting another we must take seriously that we take the log out of our own eye in order that we may help find the hope of reconciliation. You see, if it, if it is through this process that we find freedom from sin, not that we are free of sin, but we find that it no longer controls us. It no longer masters us. But then the sixth and the final thing and most important thing that we learn about rampant and unrepentant sin from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is this, sin draws us to have faith in Jesus. Who can stand without the beautiful matchless and beautiful grace of Jesus? You see, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because we are saved not by our own sinful record, our own strivings, but by the record of Jesus. Romans 5, 6-10 For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? Beloved, we must take sin serious in a culture which treats sin so callously. We must also confront a brother or sister who is caught in rampant and unrepentant sin. And may we never be tempted to justify sin. But may we find freedom from sin. And may it draw us to faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week we are praying for Romania, for the children, for our team in Romania, and ultimately for families that are adopting and fostering domestically in Romania, as well as those families in the intercountry adoption process. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the team that you have assembled here at Lifeline to work tirelessly um, in Romania and for the people of Romania from here in the United States. We think of our team here in the United States for Brianna and Sarah and Timmy Ann and Caroline as they continue to orchestrate uh, our Eastern European and Romanian adoption programs. And Lord, we also pray for Petri and Kyle Groza with Ridge and Foundation, one of our global orphan care partners in Romania. Would you be with Kyle and Petri and give them guidance and trust in you? And Lord, would you please help them as they love on the Roma population, Roma children, Roma people? God, would you give them grace? Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them uh, power and love and self-discipline? And Lord, for those families in the international adoption process, in this international adoption program, it is a smaller program, but Lord, would you be in the details and would you help streamline this process? But Lord, we also pray for the children of Romania for those that are waiting for forever families, either through domestic adoption or through inter-country adoption. Lord, would you protect these children and would you guard their heart? Lord, we pray for caregivers that are loving on these children and caring for them day in and day out and even potentially preparing them for an adoption process domestically or internationally. Lord, would you... Help our team to show your love to these caregivers and show them the grace and the love of Christ. But Lord, we also pray for the families that are in the process, both domestically and through inter-country adoption. We pray that Lord would bring more families to Lifeline who have Romanian passports and a heart for adoption, but also would you continue to stir up your people in Romania to step forward to to pray for the children of Romania, to foster the children of Romania, and ultimately to adopt the children of Romania. Lord, would you stir people's hearts and bring mission-minded families to bear to care for these children? Lord, would you bring salvation to Romania? Would you use your church? Would you guard your church? Would you use your people to do your work in Romania? Lord, we know that ultimately you love this country. You love this people. You died for this people. And Lord, may they come to saving knowledge and saving grace of Christ Jesus. It's in your great name that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at infolifelinechild.org. At we look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.